Tonight we're going to finish this study called Overcoming Overload, adapted from a book by the same title, written by Steve and Mary Farrar. If you haven't read the book and you have a chance to get it one day, you might want to pick it up. It's a great book. I've tried to kind of summarize the essence of the book for you. But we've said every night that there are three reasons that families feel overloaded and overwhelmed. Uh, three, three major reasons. There are more than this, but these are three major areas uh, that are points of tension and stress for families. First of all, We've talked about the pressures of life. Life has pressure, pressure to succeed, uh, pressure to uh, provide, uh, all, these, all these different things that we've got to do and keep up with and, 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 and carry out. And all of those things can just weigh on us and cause great pressure in our life. And a lot of people feel overloaded and overwhelmed just by the different pressures of life. But also we talked about the pain of life. Because we live in a fallen world, a world that's been cursed by sin, we're going to experience hardship, right? We're going to experience pain. We're going to experience hurt. We're going to experience difficulty and trials and tribulations. And, and those hurts can, can weigh on us. They can build up over time and really cause us to feel overwhelmed by life. Then we talked about the pace of life, which is so relevant for 2015 and all of our gadgets and phones and all you know, all the technology we have, and we're we're you know commuter people now. We commute everywhere. We commute to work, commute to church, commute to commute everywhere, commute to play. You know, we're we're mobile society, and life is just so fast. We're rushing, 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 and and people get caught up in the rat race, and they just feel stressed and overwhelmed, like they can't even catch their breath. And a lot of families are living in that zone of of feeling overwhelmed, and so. We've been discussing together the solution, and there are seven solutions to the problem of, of, over, of overwhelmed living, um, overloaded living. We said that you need a Savior, because if you have a Savior, then you have enough to get you through life. Because if you have Jesus and lose everything else, guess what? You still have enough, because Jesus is enough, and, and He forgives you of your sins and gives you hope beyond the stresses and, and strains of this life. So you need a savior. That's first and foremost and primary. Also you need a sabbath. God designed us to need rest and God built rest into the rhythm of our lives when he commanded his people to have a sabbath. And we talked a lot about that and how for Christians on this side of the cross uh, we practice the principles of the Sabbath on the Lord's day, the first day of the week when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We meet every Sunday. But we need, that, we need that time to pause and catch our breath and, and renew our focus upon the Lord. We need a Sabbath. If, and if we don't have that, if we don't have that rest in our lives, we will feel overwhelmed. You need a sanctuary. You need a special place to, to get away from the craziness and a place that's quiet and still, a place where you can meet with God. You need sustenance. We talked about the Word of God. Jesus said, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that proceeds from the Lord. And so the Bible is like physical, uh, spiritual nourishment for us. Just like we need physical nourishment, we need spiritual nourishment. The Bible, as we read it and internalize it and study it and memorize it, it helps us to grow. So you need sustenance. And you need supplication. That, that speaks of prayer. You need this this. Uh, release valve to give your concerns and cares to the Lord, to cast your cares upon Him. You need to pray, and so you need supplication to deal with the stresses of life. You need to simplify. 
Uh, we talked about that last week. We talked about the, 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 the deadly sickness of affluenza, affluence, having too much, chasing more stuff, believing the lie that if you achieve more or if you acquire more, then you'll be happy. That's a lie. That, that is a lie. Happiness does not come from what you acquire or what you achieve. True happiness, true joy comes from knowing Christ and walking with Him and having hope in Him. So you need to simplify your life because you're, you're going crazy trying to keep up with the Joneses. And no one cares about what you're doing except you. So simplify and just, and just live a simple life for the glory of God. But this seventh thing is very, very important because of the pressures and the pain and the pace of life. You need a sovereign. You need a sovereign. You need to understand that God is in control. That's important because there are going to be times when you feel like your life is spinning out of control. And when your life is spinning out of control, that's when you need to remember that there is one who is in control. And that's going to carry you through the, 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 the valleys and the challenging times, those times that cause great stress and strain on your life. So you need a sovereign. So what do I mean when I say you need a sovereign. I'm speaking specifically of the sovereignty of God. Theologians use this phrase, the sovereignty of God. And what I want to do is I want to begin by defining it for you. What, what I mean when I say the sovereignty of God. Here it is. It's in your notes. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God states that God is in absolute, total, and complete control of everything and everybody. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God states that God is in absolute, total, and complete control of everything and everybody. And His sovereignty, this control, is assured by His omnipotence, which means He's all-powerful. God has all power, right? His omniscience, God knows everything. His omnipresence, God is everywhere. And His position as Creator. In other words, because God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present and has created the universe, he's the one that is in control. He's the one that is calling the shots because there's no one else that's all-powerful and all-knowing and it's created the universe. Only God can lay claim to that. So God is the one who's calling the shots. You say, wait, is this a biblical idea? Well, look in Psalm 115. You should already be there. I think I asked you to turn there a little bit earlier if you weren't in here. Turn to Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where's their God? Our God is in the heavens. Watch this. He does all that he pleases. So all God wants to do, he does because he's all powerful, right? And all that he does is the right thing because he's all knowing. And so God is in the heavens. He's seated on his throne, ruling and reigning over the universe, And he does what he pleases. You've probably heard me share this illustration before, but I'll share it again. I think I shared it near the beginning of this study. But but there's a a famous, uh, a well-known Christian leader uh, of the 20th century named Dawson Trotman. He started the Navigator's Ministry and uh, just a, a, a fireball for the Lord. I mean, evangelist, and he gave his life to, to making disciples on college campuses and in the military and around the world. And he is a young, promising leader on fire for the Lord, and he died in a tragic drowning accident. And word got to his wife, who was not with him at the time. She got the news. 
your husband Dawson is dead. He drowned. And here's what she said. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. She, in that moment of grief and despair, realized that God had not lost control. She realized that God was sovereign. And so that's one verse that speaks this. Also turn to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. I'm going to have you turn a little bit tonight, so just get ready. Isaiah 46. Verse 9. God here says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Watch this. Declaring the end from the beginning... And from ancient times, things not yet done. In other words, God has told us what's going to happen, or God knows what's going to happen, and God declares what's going to happen because God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. And he says there, verse 10, My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. So listen to me. Whatever God wants to do, whatever his purpose is, it's going to get done. Because he's God, and he's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. He's the creator. He's calling the shots. He's ruling and reigning. So whatever it is he wants to do, he's going to do it. And you can't stop it. I can't. No one can stop it. It's going to happen because God is sovereign. Let me just give you a couple applications of this. First of all, he's sovereign over nations. He's sovereign over nations. Turn over to Daniel with me. Book of Daniel. Let me show you an example of this. During the days of Daniel... The most powerful king on the face of the earth was the Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he had uh, untold um, resources at his disposal. Uh, He conquered many lands. And he was a great king with a huge army. And Nebuchadnezzar had a pride problem. Nebuchadnezzar thought it was all about him. And he forgot that there was one above him who was really in control, that had given him this position. Look what it says in Daniel 4, verse 30. One night, Nebuchadnezzar is walking around on the roof of his palace in Babylon. And he said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty powers, a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Are you kidding me? And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. So Nebuchadnezzar walked around, look at my kingdom, look what I've built, look what I've accomplished. And God says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're missing, you're missing the fact that I'm the king. I've just given you this position for a time. And so he sends him out into the wilderness, and he's, he's, he's on all fours eating grass like a cow. And his fingernails grow. This is the king, most powerful man on the face of the earth. His fingernails are growing long. His hair was long as eagle's feathers. But look what it says in verse 34. Look at the, the conclusion that Nebuchadnezzar came to. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. 
And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion. Watch this. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth, King Nebuchadnezzar would insert here, even me, all the inhabitants of the earth, even King Nebuchadnezzar, are accounted as nothing. He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And so God humbles Nebuchadnezzar so that Nebuchadnezzar will recognize the sovereignty of God. That God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So God's sovereign over nations. Turn to Proverbs 21.1. Let me show you just a couple more passages about this. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So, A king thinks he's in control, but he's saying the king's heart's in the hands of God. God turns wherever he wants him to go. God's the one that raises up leaders and nations and puts down leaders and nations. God is in control of all of human history. Uh, One more, Pat. Look at Psalm 2 with me. Psalm 2. Just to drive this point home. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So he's saying there there, there are nations that are anti-God, that are enemies of God. And look what it says in verse 3. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their course. In other words, God's not going to be our God. He's not going to be in control of us. He's not going to be Lord over us. Look what it says in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens, what? laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, and he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So there are nations that are anti-God, that are opposed to the thought of of a, a creator God that controls the universe that we should bow and submit to, and they, they rail against God and are anti-God, and God just laughs. Because God is in control. So he's sovereign over nations. But also, he's sovereign over nature. Look over in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 14. Jeremiah 14, verse 22. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. So Jeremiah is saying there, these, these false gods that people worship and give their lives to, so they, can't, they can't control the weather, they can't make it rain, but God can. God, you can do that because you are in control over nature. Over in Job chapter 39 and 40, when Job is struggling with all that's going on in his life, God reminds him he's the one that created everything. He's the one that controls the elements. He's the one that controls the the animals in the wild. And his, his way of saying, hey, Job, I'm sovereign over nature. And I'm sovereign over your circumstances. And one of my favorite examples is when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples and there's wind and there's waves and the disciples think they're going to perish. And Jesus stands up and says to the wind and waves, peace be still. And what happens? Everything goes calm. 
because Jesus is sovereign over nature. And so the sovereignty of God speaks of God's control over everything and everybody. He's in control. Steve Farrar writes, Sovereignty means that God is king. He rules and reigns over everyone and everything. He rules over events and circumstances. Nothing, notice all capitals there, nothing happens by chance. If Listen to me. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, which the Bible clearly teaches, you cannot believe in luck. Those two ideas are mutually exclusive. You can't hold to the sovereignty of God and fate or chance at the same time. They, they just don't add up. So you might say good luck or something like that. I try to kind of get that out of my vocabulary because there's no such thing as luck. God's in control. God is calling the shots. Nothing happens by chance. And that's important because things are going to happen to you in your life or maybe have happened in the past and, and it's going to feel hopeless because you're not going to understand what's going on. And it feels random and it feels like fate has, has dealt you a, a bad hand. But listen to me. God is in control. Nothing happens by chance. R.C. Sproul says, there's not one renegade molecule in the universe. Adrian Rogers says, there's not a blade of grass that God is not in control of. God is in control of everything. So that's what the sovereignty of God means. That's how it is classically Defined. But here's where the rubber meets the road. Okay, Wade, you've given us some Bible verses and some definitions and some theology. So what does that mean for my day-to-day living? How should this idea affect my life? Because I feel overwhelmed and I feel overloaded and I feel like the pace of life is too fast and I'm dealing with the pain of life and the pressures of life. So, so Wade, how does this doctrine of the sovereignty of God speak into my life? What does this mean for me? Well, let me give you here... Seven things that are going to help you to understand how the, the idea, the, the, the doctrine, the truth of the sovereignty of God applies to your life. Number one, here's what it means. God either causes or allows everything that happens. I'll say it again. God either causes or allows everything that happens. Now, if that statement were not true, God would not be sovereign. If there were some things that happened outside of God's control, then God's not sovereign. Right? So if God is sovereign, if we take to heart the Bible's teaching on who God is and how God reigns, then everything that happens is either directly caused by or permissively allowed by God. Now, we need to be careful here. Because there's evil in the world, right? There's great evil. And the Bible is clear. God is not the author of sin, right? God doesn't do anything wrong. He's not the author of sin. But if God is sovereign, there is a sense in which God allows sinners to sin. Right? And so God either causes or allows everything thing that happens. So wait, can you show me that in the Bible? Look in Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, watch this, who works all things. Everyone say all. The word all is a small word with big implications. He works all things. Good things, bad things, wonderful things, terrible things. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. So God is sovereign God is in control. Look over in Colossians with me. Just keep on turning. Past Philippians into Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15. He, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only was Jesus the agency of creation, God the Father speaking through, uh, or speaking the creation into existence, and it came to existence through the power of Christ, but Jesus Christ also holds it all together. He's not only the creator, he's the sustainer. He's holding everything together, either causing or allowing everything that happens. So that's the first implication for our life. There's nothing that, that is caught. Listen, there's nothing that happens in this life that catches God by surprise. Because he's either directly caused it or in his sovereignty and for his purposes allowed it. That's got to be true if we believe the sovereignty of God. Now here's the alternative. Well, I don't believe God's completely sovereign. Well, that's going to get you in all kinds of trouble if that's the route you want to go down. And some theologians try to go down that road, and trust me, you don't want to go down that road because it leads you to liberalism and a lot of of bad theology. God is in control. But here's the second implication for our life. Not only does God either cause or allow everything that happens, but here's what it means. Listen, nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. Nothing can touch your life unless God either directly causes it or allows it. And of course, the example of this is the book of Job. Remember, God's in heaven and Satan comes before him and and the Lord says, the Lord brings Job up. Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan basically says, well, the reason he's such a righteous man, the reason he's such a godly man is because you bless him so much. If you take away your blessing, if you take your hand off of him, he won't worship you anymore. He'll turn his back to you. And so God allows Satan to afflict Job. And he comes against Job and takes away his family and his livelihood and his health. I mean, Job loses everything, utterly devastated. But Satan could not touch his life until God allowed him. And God even put limits. Hey, you can do anything you want, but you can't can't take his life. So God allowed Satan to afflict Job. Now remember, Job didn't know anything about the heavenly conversation. He's just suffering. But God was allowing it. God had not lost control. And when you are suffering, when you are hurting, you may not know what's happening in the councils of heaven. You may not know what's going on in the heart of God. You may not know this side of eternity. But you can know that he's in control. And that he either caused or allowed the affliction in your life. That's why 
Well, let me get to the next one. Nothing can touch your life unless God causes or allows it. Here's the third implication. If God allows something hard into your life, he does it for a reason. So if God causes or allows something difficult in your life, he has a purpose behind it. That's why James says, when you encounter various trials, rejoice, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So when you're hurting, praise the Lord, because you know that God has a purpose for the pain. God's caused or allowed your pain, your hurt, your grief, your perplexity for a reason. God has a purpose behind it. So you can rejoice. If God allows something into your life, hard or good, anything that comes into your life, he does it for a reason. And again, again, listen to me. You may not know the reason this out of heaven. And we've got to be okay with that. Over in uh, Psalm, is it one thirty? Uh, four, somewhere right in there. David is, 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 is praying, and he said, uh, he said, you know, God, I'm like a weaned child. You're God, I'm not. And I, I'm okay with that. And so, if God allows something hard into your life, he does it for a reason. Number uh, four, we may not understand his ways or his plan. I just said that, but turn around. Isaiah 55, let me show you this. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Watch this. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So how much different are the thoughts of God than our thoughts? He says here, there's, there, there's as much separation as there is between the heavens and the earth. <laughs> God does not think like us, or rather, we don't think like God. And so when God causes or allows something in your life or in a loved one's life, you, you may not, you probably won't, uh, won't understand it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be perplexing. That's why we always find ourselves asking the why question. Who's ever asked the why question about something in your life? Raise your hand. Let's be honest. We all have, right? Why? Why did this happen? Why right now? Why to this person? Why to me? Why? Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. That's why the old hymn says, we'll understand it better, what? By and by, right? We'll understand it better by and by. We may not understand his ways or his plan. Here's the next implication for our life. He ultimately works everything together for good. So God takes, he takes the, the good, the bad, the wonderful, the hard, the, the blessings, the affliction. He takes them all that he's either caused or allowed in your life, and he weaves them together to bring good into your life. Of course, the text that we quote often is Romans eight twenty eight that God works everything together for the good of those that love him, to those called according to his purpose. Everything, God works it for good. And it's hard for us to, to experience something and say, God, how is this going to be good? I don't see how good could come out of this. But God is God, and God does what he does. And God takes it all and makes something beautiful out of it. Over in Psalm 119, verse 68, the Bible says, I love this verse, that God is good and he does good. Everything God does is good, right? 
Everything he does is good because he's a good God. My, my favorite hymn is titled, uh, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. I love that song. Um, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. Jesus does all things well. God is good. And so he ultimately works everything together for our good. But here's the next implication. Therefore, we should recognize and submit to his sovereign reign. We should recognize and submit to his sovereign reign. Turn over to 1 Timothy with me very quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I know I have you turning a lot tonight, but a lot of good stuff to look at. 1 Timothy 6 verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So he's saying there, hey, God's sovereign, God's in control, so keep his commandment. Keep his commandment. Recognize his sovereignty, recognize he's king of kings and lord of lords, and submit to his sovereign reign. That means, here's what that means. If God reigns over all, shouldn't he be your lord? Shouldn't he be calling the shots over your life? Shouldn't you... Shouldn't you want to know what the sovereign God has to say for your individual life? The answer is, yes, we should. We should recognize and respond, submit to his sovereign reign. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. In other words, Lord, I want your kingdom to come in a fuller way in my life every day. I want you to be Lord in a fuller way in my life every day because you are the king. So we should recognize and submit to his sovereign reign. But here's the next implication for our life. We should rest and rejoice in his sovereignty. We should rest and rejoice in his sovereignty. Over in Isaiah chapter 40, turn there with me very quickly. Isaiah 40 is one of the great chapters in the Bible that speaks of the power of God, the greatness of God, who's made everything. But look how this chapter, before it speaks of God's power and sovereignty and greatness, look how it starts off in in chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In other words, this great chapter about the greatness of God is intended to bring comfort to God's people. Isn't that neat? Comfort to God's people. And so God wants the idea of his sovereignty to to comfort you in your distress, in your affliction, in your overloaded and overwhelmed life. He wants you to remember that he's in control. Charles Spurgeon said that the sovereignty of God is like a 
a soft pillow that the Christian can lay their head on at night. You can rest in the fact that God is in control. Now, to kind of close the illustration, I'll take some, I'll take some questions. Turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Verse 33. Romans 1 through 11 speak of God's plan of salvation, the, 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 the sinfulness of humanity, the salvation that Christ brings, the sanctification that God brings about our life when we become followers of Christ. And in verses or chapters uh, 8, Starting in end of that chapter eight and chapter nine and chapter ten and chapter eleven, God's uh, or sorry, Paul writes of God's sovereignty and he talks about the the tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility in salvation and 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 he gets to the point at the end of that chapter where he just he just runs out of things to say about what he's writing about. And he says in verse thirty three, "Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God." How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable means you can't figure him out. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has, been, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul just breaks out in this great doxology, praising the sovereign God. Now, let me tell you why that verse is, is interesting. Do you remember the story of Todd Beamer? Todd Beamer was on United Flight 93 on 9-11. And the reason he's so well known is because the last words he said before he hung up the phone was, let's roll. Terrorists have control of the plane. We're going to try to overtake the terrorists and not let them cause greater harm. And United Flight 93 crashed. Uh, and, and, and people believe it's because passengers, uh, people like Todd Beamer, uh, overcame the terrorists and, and, and somehow caused the plane to crash and not do larger damage when they understood what the terrorists were up to. And so his wife, Lisa Beamer, wrote a book by that, that title, Let's Roll, about her life and about Todd and about that entire situation. And the book is, is just saturated with Lisa's faith uh, in, in, in the fact that God is sovereign, is saturated with her confident faith in God, even all that's gone on in her life. Because losing Todd was not her first tragedy. When Lisa was 15 years old, she suddenly lost her father. Her father was a, was a, a healthy, active man, and all of a sudden he went through a health crisis, and he went to a hospital that did not have the equipment he needed. They were transporting him to another hospital, and he died in route. And just like that, as a 15-year-old girl, she lost her father. And she struggled with it for years. And she uh, attended uh, Wheaton College, and at one point she talked to a, uh, a campus minister there at Wheaton. And she began to just kind of share feelings about how she was hurting from losing her father at the age of 15, and she didn't understand what was happening, why God did that, and she was asking the why question. Uh, but before, shortly before that, she had wrote, read Romans chapter 11, verses 30 through 36. So she was already thinking about the fact that, that, that you can't understand God's ways. But she's sitting here talking to this campus minister, and on that night, this campus minister 
reminded her of the sovereignty of God. Here's what he said to Lisa. Listen to his words. He gently said, you know, Lisa, God knew the hospital they took your dad to wasn't going to have the right equipment to perform the surgery. The Lord knew the first doctor was going to blow off the situation. At any time, God could have changed the circumstances. He could have changed the hospital or the doctor. Better yet, he could have healed the hole in your dad's heart. But for whatever reason, he let the natural course of things take place that day. And so Dennis is just very gently reminding her, God's in control. You can't understand him. You can't figure him out. But, but God is sovereign. Lisa blinked back the tears. And she admits that the words from Dennis were hard to swallow. But soon after that conversation, she, remi- she was reminded of Romans 11 Verses 33 through 36, those verses that, that speak of, of God being beyond our understanding. And, and, and those verses encouraged her in that moment. She began to accept that even though it hurt terribly to lose her dad at 15, God was in control and God had a purpose and plan in it all. Well, after the tragedy of 9-11, she had some friends go to her deceased husband's car, Todd Beamer, to clean it out for and to get his personal possessions. And she writes, One item they found was intriguing. In the armrest tray between the front bucket seats, Todd had some scripture memory cards that, that, that uh, housed those cards while he was driving. The top card of the stack, the one that he would have read on his way to the airport on the morning of September 11th, was Romans 11. Verses 33 through 36. Do you think that was an accident? That the verses God had used to carry her through the tragedy and hurt of losing her father were the verses that her husband was reading on the way to the airport and memorizing and studying and the verses that she heard about at this time that helped her to put 9-11 in perspective. God is in control. We don't understand it all. We don't understand God. But God is in control, and we have to trust that one day He'll take all of the threads of our life, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the hard stuff, the, the, the wonderful stuff, He'll take it all, and He'll weave it together into something good and ultimately something that glorifies Him because that's what it's all about. And so we should rest and rejoice in his sovereignty. The, the, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is a soft pillow to lay your head on at night. Because when you go to sleep at night, he doesn't. The Bible says he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He always watches over his children. And when you begin to view life through those lenses, through that, through that prism, that spectrum, then you begin to see the fingerprints of God everywhere. Even in the pain. Hey, God's in control, but you see his fingerprints. And, and you see that God is actively, actively causing and allowing things for your good and His glory, and you see Him at work, and it is thrilling when you get to that level of spiritual maturity. And so, wait, how do you overcome overload? Well, you need a Savior, because when life falls apart, you need hope, and Jesus is the only one that gives hope. 
And life is hard, but there's hope beyond this old life, right? Because of Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. So you need Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You need a Sabbath. You need to build rest into the rhythm of your life. You need a sanctuary, a place to get away from the craziness and meet with God. You need sustenance. You need the Word of God to feed you and to equip you and strengthen you to face all that life will bring your direction. You need supplication. You need to be able to give your your burdens to God and cast your cares upon Him through prayer. You need to simplify your life and stop trying to keep up with everybody else and just live faithfully for the Lord and you need a sovereign no matter the pressures no matter the pain no matter the pace of life God is in control we can rest in him